0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity. It's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbagger. The Rockpile Report. Oh, uh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors
2: at Banquet Beers out of spite. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'll
1: go to Helen back just to prove a point. <laughs> Welcome everybody. To another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger. And I I want to open with this. The definition of purgatory according to Roman Catholic doctrine is The souls of those who die in God's grace may take satisfaction for past sins and so become fit for heaven. The Merriam-Webster definition for purgatory is a place or state of temporary suffering or misery. The Drew Gear definition of purgatory is rooting for the Buffalo Bills ever since 2019. I don't know, I think I like my definition a little bit better, don't you, Chris? Yes. Now, for those of you who are watching this on Y'allTube, you will notice that Chris is wearing a jacket inside of his own home. And I have so many questions. Look at that. I have quite... Well, Well, I
2: went out to go get the pizza, and I wore this, and I just haven't taken it off. (laughs) I'm comfortable. It's got the Bill's logo on it. Where is it? Right here? I can't... I don't know how to look at myself in the camera. I, I like this jacket. Benny got it for me for my birthday.
1: Guys, this is how I know that things have gone to shit around here. You've got a man inside of his own home who cares enough to do his hair, but won't take his jacket off inside of his own home. Like, What are we talking about? <clears throat> Everybody's lost it, guys, ever since we lost this uh, week's game. And if you don't already know, this is our season-ending recap The Buffalo Bills lost to the Chiefs by a score of 27 to 24. Now, I want to preface our conversation about the game and the fallout of the game. And tonight we're going to talk about a lot of things. In fact, probably very little to do with the actual game itself, because I feel like you people have just done, (laughs) you people have done a number. Social media might be the worst thing. We'll get into that. But first, I want to say a heartfelt thank you. To every single person who came through our tailgate this season, who joined us out there, who pitched in, helped coordinate things, helped cook, brought their brought equipment, brought flair, brought their personalities, their presence. It was, Chris, this was easily one of the better seasons of tailgates I think we've had in a long time.
2: Yeah, it'll get better uh, next year. Mostly, next year, we got to do some... Uh, business on the back end for but we're gonna have a fifth seat yeah for the season the guy next to us dan kimball is dropping from three seats to two seats and we're gonna pick that shit right up it's uh it
1: was a it was a season. we just
2: give it away to fans next year we'll they want to want to see if these tweets really come from your mouth
1: <laughs> if they come from a place of real, real inner darkness. Yeah, real rage. So everybody who came, like, thank you. And thank you to everybody who showed up on Sunday. It was it was a great day. It was a cold day. It was a long day. I was kind of happy I got there before everybody else. I was kind of happy I was the first person there because... You beat Zach? Yep. And it gave me a moment to really just think about things and really kind of put everything into perspective and it was I'm, I'm happy that I got to have at least that moment and then as people started arriving just the the conversations and the, the, the day that we got to have um, so thank you first of all I'll raise a frosty Montucky to everybody who everybody who joined us on Sunday and everybody who's joined us this season so Sunday night my wife looks at me as I'm now just like a bear, just foraging through the fridge for something to stuff in my face and soak up some of the booze uh, that I chose to subject myself to after the game. And she just looked at me and asked the question. She wasn't being snarky. She wasn't mad. It It was almost like it was a real question she was asking me when she said, why can't the Bills ever just get outclassed? Why do they have to make elimination hurt so damn much? Now, despite marrying me, she is a smart lady. She's very perceptive. This one hurt. It hurt real bad. <laughs> it, it hurt real bad. And I I'm know I'm, I'm not the only person out there who feels that way. In fact, you could see the fallout of this loss everywhere. You've got Bill's players... Screaming at and fighting with fans on the field. You've got kickers deactivating their social media accounts. You've got me burning our Twitter to the ground yet again. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. There's a funny thing that happens. And I want you guys to understand this because it actually, I'm not even ashamed to admit this. I was arguing with my father for about a half hour while I sat on the toilet. On uh, Sunday night About what I was doing on social media In fact What did my dad say In fact if I can find the text Dave Gear, Dave Gear texted I me could,
2: I can't picture you And your dad getting into like An argument via text I think your Arguments only work In person Where you could lay hands on each other <laughs> That seems the only appropriate way.
1: S- Sunday at 11.05 p.m. I get a text from my father that says, get off Twitter and stop embarrassing yourself. <laughs> and we just go proceed to go back and forth, just back and forth. And my da- at one point, my dad just says, I'm banning you from Twitter. <laughs> what am I grounded? I'm sent to my room. No internet for a week and it was just funny like cuz as the conversation went on we kind of you know we got into a bunch of different things and we we talked about the context of that and i think the thing that people need to understand is what i actually view social media as now there's a lot of our fellow content creators right they've all hit milestones they've got 10 20 30 40 50,000 if you're Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder you have
2: Brett's over 100. Brett's
1: over 100. And your social media following has been cultivated because these people are smart, and they're insightful, and they're funny, and they're also actively trying to engage with people because it's good for their brand. It's good for their brand that people see them as being funny and engaging and gregarious and that they're good people or they're at least knowledgeable or that they have insights that, hey, I should follow this person. And by the way, I might catch some of their content as they're advertising it and think, You know, I like that guy's takes. I like some of the things he tweets out, or he makes me laugh once in a while. I should go check out his product. Now, Chris, that's the only reason we have a Twitter in the first place. Neither one of us had one prior to this podcast. Our
2: only reason for a Twitter account is for this podcast. When we started it in 2015, well, we're not on Twitter. We have to be on Twitter. That's what this... Doing this thing of a podcast calls for, you have to have it.
1: But so in that way, I'm almost, it's almost like a form of silent protest. Except it's, in fact, it's not silent. It's outrageous. Twitter for me is a dumping ground for all of the things that I think and feel that I can't just yell inside of my own house. Or that I don't have someone in front of me, like you said, Chris. So you were like, your arguments only work if you can have them in person. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but since there's no one here for me to fight with because it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm not going to keep my wife awake with this nonsense, guess what? You all get subjected to it. And here's what I love. People who follow us who go, why isn't your social media following any bigger? I'll tell you why. Because when I'm mad or I'm frustrated or I'm just, I'm angry, I'll go on there and burn that thing to the ground. I'll say wild things. And guess what? It's what I'm feeling in the moment, and I don't care about the repercussions. And so what you find is you get all these people who are like, I don't even know why I'm following you. Unfollowed. Blocked. Who cares? <laughs> I don't. You're talking, like, I don't understand the people who make it like a part of their, I don't know, Chris, what would you call it? Like, they make it a part of their life, like it matters.
2: I mean, I got a message from Ethan Tweedy. On Facebook it was like what is drew doing to your Twitter account like, I don't I don't care I don't I, care it does not matter to me he can set it on fire if he wants to
1: uh, and so it's one of those things where I understand where my father comes from and in that process some of the points he made probably were valid boozed and angry I don't care and realistically social media I think more people need to not care because then you wouldn't see what we saw from everybody this week. And I mean, we'll talk about the fallout of the game because I think that's almost more important than what actually went on. But if you want just a couple thoughts about the actual gameplay. First of all, Saturday night, I had a tweet. Chris, it's in our bookmarks. If you want to throw that up there. I just, I packed the truck. And then I came in and I watched the end of the Green Bay San Francisco game. And I watched the way that Green Bay's kicker just absolutely hosed his team at the end of the game when they counted on him. And I remember hearing and remember looking when I was arguing with somebody about special team stats and Tyler Bass earlier in the year that his kicking statistics weren't much better than Green Bay's kicker. And Green Bay's kicker is talked about as being one of the worst in football. Tyler Bass got an extension and everybody remembers when he was good nobody remember like they're not giving him credit for how bad he's been and how unreal i shouldn't say bad because bad's this just calling someone bad is like i don't know it it's not nuanced enough he's too inconsistent and he's, he's not getting credit for his inconsistencies here down the stretch by most people most fans so i see this happen and i send out a tweet that just now, this is Saturday night at like 11 o'clock at night, and I tweet out that if the Bills put the game in the hands of Tyler Bass, he will screw us the same way Green Bay's kicker just did. And people were mad. People were angry with me. People thought I was, What are you drunk right now? And I was like, Well, probably. I mean, I was sipping moonshine as I was packing a truck, but this is a sober thought. And then it happened. Now, I wish it hadn't, but it's one of those things where I say to myself, here's a guy like I'm old enough to remember watching Mike Vanderjack be one of the most reliable kickers in all in the entire NFL
2: until he wasn't.
1: And then one moment, all it took was a missed field goal in a playoff game, and he was never the same kicker again. He could never get it. Kickers are a lot like NHL goalies in that way. There's a headspace that you have to be in, and if you're not in it, you're just out. Once you are, your mechanics fail you, your sense of just just everything that you do, your timing, your rhythm, your communication with your partners in this kicking operation, everything goes south. And even if it's only off by a few inches, you, you more than most players play a game of inches and an inch or two on your approach that's off, an inch or two where you step too far into the ball, you kick the ground a little bit sooner than you should. You—it's all of these things like it's such a nuanced position and I don't think Tyler Bass gets credit for being as poor as he's been and so in that way you watch this happen and at one but you know at first drunk and angry I felt vindicated and I went and rubbed it in everybody's face now with that said anybody who sends death threats to a football player over a game you're just an idiot like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go full Pat Moran here and undress everybody verbally, but what I will say is like you should like Chris, you know me. I've I wish ill will on people all the time. Yeah, I think during the during the game, I was like I kind of hope that Sean Hockley. I was like you know what needs to happen, and I remember saying it, and Andy Parks was there, who's a pastor, and he was like I don't even know how to respond to you right now. Because I made the comment about how what really needs to happen is that when Ed Hockley passes, the funeral home needs to burn down (laughs) with Sean and the bloodline inside. I think it's the only way we end this nonsense, because otherwise Sean's kid will inevitably become a terrible NFL, NFL official and the cycle will continue and it'll always be at Buffalo's expense. With that said, I say this in the heat of the moment and then I step back and go okay that's a wild thing to say out loud and put into the ether but it's so bombastic that chris who's actually taking me seriously at that point well no one should take you seriously to begin with this is fair but i think i've cultivated that right like people should just know oh drew's saying that but he's not actually calling for a structure fire that kills an entire bloodline i mean i would hope so So I just like this is people losing their minds, but in the same time, like the people who are angry, like you, some of you took it too far, but I understand the frustration. This is a guy that we have a long term contract to who is now here and got a lot of money tied up in him. And all of a sudden he's got the yips. Now what? Like, what's the thing about best laid plans? We have to now question whether Tyler Bass is going to work. We also have to question whether this highly invested defensive line is truly going to matter when we play the best talent the NFL has to offer. Just like the last time we lost to Kansas City in the divisional round, we had zero sacks, and Oliver had 10 one-on-one matchups with Joe Tooney. Zero pressures. Von Miller, two pressures, no sacks, and one tackle. Tim Settle didn't record a single statistic despite 26% of the snaps being played. Like at a certain point, we have to question. Like This is all well and good when you're playing in the regular season against decent football teams. Whenever this D-line goes up against the best, it's like to a man, they all just wilt. And I don't know how you change that. Chris, do you have any answers? How, like, what do you do when you know that the players that you're looking at have talent, right? You know, Ed Oliver has had a great year. And this performance here in this playoff game doesn't make our investment in him a mistake. But at the same time, how do you excuse another disappearing act from everyone? What do you, how do you even defend it?
2: How about this? How about we spend money in a way to beat the Chiefs the way the Chiefs beat us? Let's get some offensive talent. Draft better. Give us wide receivers, your running backs, O line, and not pay the defense like, oh, we have to stop Mahomes. Why don't we just beat him at what he does with a talented quarterback? That has a fucking cannon attached to his torso.
1: Now, it's funny you say that, because that's another thing I've got here on my list. Lack of defensive execution can only mean one thing. More offense. Like, I want to run this back for you guys, because I want you to understand how... Like, we keep getting this same result, where you're just a day late and a dollar short, and you're... defensive injuries were okay but we have defensive injuries every year most teams have defensive injuries entering the playoffs maybe not as many as the bills got hit with all at once but it doesn't matter because it seems to happen to us it happens to us and we keep trying to make excuses for it but maybe it wouldn't matter so much if you're talking about like you you've tried to rely on your defense to win you these games and it hasn't worked. Your defense hasn't shown up in the games no matter what you put in. You know, in 20 to 2021, when we lost in the 13 seconds game, we went out and signed D-tackles and pass rushers and all of these things, and none of it mattered. We still lost that game. It was by, again, by a hair, but you lost it because your offense couldn't score more points than your opponent. You look at how you've invested during this time period, since Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have been here. Your top four in safety spending this season, top five in defensive line spending, ninth in cornerback spending, I mean, Baltimore is eighth and Miami is sixth. First, or five first-round picks, all on defense. Ten picks in the top 90, all in your defense over the course of the last We'll call it since twenty what, like 2017, so six years. And for all of that, the question becomes, what do we have to show for it? You can tell me how great Trey White is. I'm not going to fight you on that. Ed Oliver, not a bad pick. Tremaine Edmonds was a great player, and he got rewarded in free agency because of it. How close to getting us to a Super Bowl have any one of these individual defensive selections been, Chris?
2: Haven't gotten there.
1: Have any of them shown up and made a splash play in one of these games that mattered? No. Nope. Not a one. And so you can, and there's a multitude of reasons for that, but the fact is you keep investing in the thing that isn't going to win you the game. The thing that could have won you the game is having more reliable hands, more speed, better blocking. There's a million ways that you could, <laughs> there's a million ways you could orchestrate that. But realistically, we as a franchise can't keep doing this and expect a better result because we're feeding the one side of the ball that I'm sorry, but you have a defensive minded head coach. He should be able to scheme and he did scheme with backups. In fact, if anything, this game makes the case that he got this far with a decimated defense and it was this close the margin of victory. Put the pieces in place on the other side of the football so that we don't have to tell this story over and over and over again. Get me more. Everyone goes, well, we got Dalton Kincaid. More. I'm that meme of the guy from Kylo Ren from Star Wars. More. I need more of it. I don't care because I'm tired of being three points short. I am sick and tired of a defense that will allow 27 and our offense can only score 24. I'm tired of it. We're all exhausted. And you keep telling me that this is going to be the thing that makes a difference. Meanwhile, I watch you go out there and play a three-point game against the Kansas City Chiefs with all your glaring mistakes. From a coordination standpoint, from an execution standpoint, you were in a three-point football game with mediocre talent because of injuries, but mediocre talent nonetheless. And then you're going to sit here and tell me that side of the ball needs more? That's flaw- At best, it's flawed thinking. At worst, it's malfeasance. And it's just really irritating to me. And then just the coordination stuff, like Dorian Williams seeing six snaps. My favorite is Saran Neal getting three snaps in the game, even though he has a history of covering Travis Kelsey before for us when Matt Milano was out of games. Like, he's done that before. He's a much better athlete than, than Klein knowing that you were going to need that you chose not to and instead you got us beaten like a drum it that's your fault you won't like you're so rigid as a as a coordinator and as a coach that you will not separate yourself from these rules that well only a linebacker can call the plays a linebacker who was on the street 2 weeks ago he gets the green dot, but you don't think that you can get a guy like, okay, we're going to play Seron Neal in the box, and we're going to have him call the plays. You couldn't trust it to a Teron Johnson, but you're so in love with the idea that it has to be a middle linebacker, and you're so rigid and inflexible in this way that you doomed the roster by putting an inferior athlete out there in the first place in a game where you got by Pittsburgh because they don't have any elite tight ends. Knowing that they were going to pick on Klein, you did it anyway. That's your fault, Sean McDermott. You walked headfirst into that and you didn't have to. Also, fake punt. A fake punt. When I say fake punts, they're usually done by crappy collegiate teams who are getting blown out by Alabama or by, you know, Oregon or, you know, who are some of the other powerhouse teams in college football. You know, I expect Rutgers to call a fake punt when they're playing Ohio State. I don't expect it from the Buffalo Bills on their own side of the field in an AFC divisional round game. Like that right there just reeks of desperation. And what's worse is then you hear our friend Reed Ferguson tell the media that it was called in from the sideline. That wasn't the original plan. The plan was to punt and then they go, hey guys, let's let's fake it. What are you doing? That tells me you don't have a plan. Now, whether that got called in from the coordinator, from the head coach, I don't care. Somebody has to answer for that. Because that's wild. Chris, if you're going to go for it on fourth down, wouldn't you rather just have Josh out there? Yeah, I would. Uh,
2: wouldn't mind seeing them just go for it. But I don't mind the idea of a fake punt. I just would have chose... A better play. And I could be wrong, but I I think I remember on the broadcast them saying that Kansas City had 10 on the field. So the Bills might have noticed that and then made the call.
1: And then still fucked it up? Yeah. That makes it even worse. Don't tell me <laughs> these things. I don't even want to hear that. What I do know is that our coaching and all of these highly invested in defensive talents failed us. Meanwhile, the offensive talent that we had made mistakes, didn't get the job done. And I think it's worth noting that for all the investments I just talked about that went into the defense, the Bills ranked 28th in 20 or more yards yard plays this season. We were one of the worst teams in the NFL in explosive plays. We have a quarterback who's capable of generating them. We just don't have anybody else consistent enough to make it happen. Whose fault is that? So it's over. Yeah, it's all over with the crying. And the this. I think what's more interesting than the game itself is the psychological fallout and the philosophical fallout that came afterwards. <laughs> now, I don't know about you guys. I've had a rough week. Rough week and a half. Um, snowstorm, obviously not ideal. It's a stressful situation. Get yourself a backup sump pump. I have a, I, Chris. I have a generator that powers my whole house. I have backups. I have I have two sump pumps. I've got the I've got the uh, the the old. Like I said, we we gotta get a pump spy sponsorship or something. We're gonna talk about this. Living where we do, come on, they gotta sponsor us. So that happens. Uh, part of my home gets destroyed. Is a uh, almost 30 foot run of gutter falls off my house, tears up my siding, almost breaks one of my windows, scares the hell out of my kids. You know, I'm putting my son to bed and I have to explain to him because he's scared to go to bed because he thinks the house is going to fall down now.
2: Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. Which one was this, Jack or Tommy? Jack. This is what you do. You give him a, a hint hint of Advil PM he'll go right to sleep
1: no no instead what you do is you rub his back and you assure him that no matter what breaks me and papa can fix it
2: oh you coddle him like a liberal
1: I go, doesn't, I, I go doesn't papa fix things he goes yeah papa fixes things and I go doesn't dad fix a lot of things yeah I go okay doesn't uncle Luke fix a lot of things well me papa and uncle Luke can fix it don't worry no matter what breaks we can fix it and it took some convincing, but he bought that and went off to sleep. My wife's car got stolen by the Kia boys. So that's been fun. Um, What else? Did you get that replaced yet? <laughs> no, they can't even get the parts. Dude, the Kia aftermarket is just overwhelmed with all the demand for replacement parts to fix all these break-ins. So they have no idea. They, they were like, it could be two weeks. It could be two months. We don't know. It's awesome. So I got all this going on. Got some other stuff happening. And then they lose this game. And I don't know what happened to me. I just, I, I, Chris, I refuse to do podcast prep on Monday night. Refused.
2: Well, so when I go to work overnight, Monday and Tuesday night, part of my playlist is sports talk. Couldn't do it. Nope. Could not listen to Cowherd. The only thing I could manage was to listen to some Canadian sports shows because they mainly focus on the NHL and barely touch on the NFL. Like, I I couldn't even listen to GR on my way home from work. I I had to back away from sports media for 48 hours to feel better.
1: I still haven't gone back. Um. Yeah, instead of instead of doing podcast preparation for tonight, which is kind of funny, I've got some quick notes jotted down, and that's all I'm, that's all I'm, ro- I'm working off of tonight, folks. I, I watched the entire series of "I Think You Should Leave" <laughs> from Netflix, which is one of the. It's, it's a show that leaves a lot of my friends really conflicted. Most of them hate it, and Iman and I laugh about this all the time. How there's this really visceral reaction people have <laughs> to it. People who don't like it really don't like it. And the people who do like it find it hilarious. There doesn't seem to be... It's almost like me. There's not a lot of middle ground. Either you love it or you think it's the worst. I've never heard of it. That doesn't shock me. And I've been walking around just waterboarding my friends with memes and references for the last 48 hours. It's been kind of cathartic, though, because there's a hilariously awkward or stupid moment from, from that show for almost every bit of what I'm experiencing right now like there's a skit about this uh, saw a movie that they're making called Detective Crashmore and the, it's a cheesy action cop film and the guy's supposed to be played by Santa and there's a part where the guy goes oh we better be ca- crashmore we we be, you know better be on the lookout and the old guy goes i don't even care if i die everything has sucked lately <laughs> <And> i just <laughs> It's one of the... It's like two on the nose. Like, that's the thing about this comedy is it's two on the nose, but that's what makes it funny. And that that gif, I've been sending it to everyone. I don't even care. Everything has sucked lately. Iman the other day hit me with, he goes the whole team to Tyler Bass, and it's just Tim Robbins leaning in going, now you're in more trouble than me, unfortunately. (laughs) Because Tyler Bass does become the whipping boy. Like... It's great. It's been, again, cathartic. That's what we're all seeking is catharsis here. Especially those of you out there. Like, our fan base is burning, Chris. Like, things are on fire. I usually make fun of Dolphins fans for being incredibly hyperbolic, but man is our fan base chewing their way through it right now. There are people, very smart people, yards per pass, you know, there's, you know, the, Eric. The Eric Turner from Cover One. Anthony Proaska. The, the, people who do film, right? The film guys, who for some reason are still out here entertaining full scale debates on, well, on that final play, if you look, Josh Allen gets his leg nudged. And, you know, it would have made sense to throw the ball to Diggs, but also this throw to Shakir, they've done it multiple times this year and it worked and blah, 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 blah. Why are we still debating this? It doesn't matter. None of it matters. I, I, Chris. Unless you have a DeLorean sitting around that you haven't used yet to go back in time and kill Hitler, and you can go back and tell Josh, "Hey, don't throw that ball." Wait for. You shouldn't even be thinking about this anymore. It's over. It happened. To spend hours dissecting this stuff it's got to be bad for your mental health right yeah like it's, it's <laughs> like there's i i get it like god uh, they they used to have those guys who walked around in rome like the uh well, i don't know what you, they'd call themselves but they whipped themselves whenever they had impure thoughts like the religious zealots like that's what you're doing you're 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 literally flogging yourselves Just walking around, torturing yourselves about the fine details. And and this is where film study has always escaped me. I'll watch a a handful of good plays. I understand a lot about the X's nose of football. I understand blocking. I understand concepts. But realistically, I don't know what you gain from dissecting a car crash like this game. Does it make you feel better? Like, Chris, if someone breaks down for you the way that... Like, okay, perfect example. Travis Kelsey's long touchdown catch. Teron Johnson was too slow to cover the flat, so Rasul Douglas didn't carry with Kelsey. Now, I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if Douglas made the wrong read. I don't know if he just saw that Johnson was slow to get to the flat and didn't want to give up his guy wide open for a first down, so he didn't pick up Kelsey. It doesn't matter because Kelsey ran untouched into the end zone for a touchdown. It doesn't, like, why doesn't mean a a damn thing to me. All I know is it happened, and it's disgusting. It's heartbreaking. I'm sick about it. And I don't want to look at it anymore. (laughs) It's like the people who watch those pimple popper shows. Do you know how wildly popular those are online, Chris? Yes. Like... The people who watch people's zits get popped or blackheads get removed or or the people who watch plastic surgery taking place. It's gross. There's nothing to be gained from this. And yet you sickos seem to get a weird sense of satisfaction about it, which I'm willing to let everybody have whatever gives them their kicks.
2: I had Jessica do one on my back last week. Did you want me to videotape it and send it to you? I'll do that the next time that uh, I have like a back sit. I need Jessica to pop it. We'll get a tripod. Maybe we'll just come down here in the studio and use a three camera setup for a pop pimple. And then uh,
1: I would rather I'll send it to you. I would rather watch that on an on just a loop for a half hour than rewatch any of that football game. I can say that with with a clear conscience. And then. Like, you just look at what's happened since then. Like, Bills fans and Dolphins fans are fighting online. I go, why? This? We're still doing this? You're arguing with a group of people who their team is awful. Like, their team is in a worse place than we are in terms of their construction, the money they've spent, the the future upshot for their team. Why are you even entertaining these conversations? I'm smart enough to know not to argue with stupid people. And yet, you're out here doing it. Smart people, again, intelligent people are out here having discourse about this nonsense. Oh, they're being mean. Who cares? The world is mean. I'm mean all the time. I'm mean to people with no provocation. I do it because I think it's funny. They're doing it because they think it's funny. I almost appreciate some of their humor. Because it's, again, it's all about seeking catharsis. There's a reason I love Don Rickles, because it's mean humor. I have thoroughly enjoyed some of the Dolphins jokes that I've seen made at our expense. Like the one where they showed... Chris, remember in the uh, training facility in the indoor practice field where they put the Lombardi trophy between the uprights? Yeah. And our friend uh, Joey from the the inches. Yes. fourth and inches. Vero Delfino. Moved it wide right. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, you know what? I appreciate that. You're still a jerk-off, but I like that. That made me laugh.
2: I saw something on Instagram. I sent it to Kyle Washington. It was uh, somebody took the scene from Back to the Future where he is in 1950. He just got back to 1955 and uh, wakes up and then goes down to his mom as his mom as a teenager for dinner. And then uh, his Grandfather wheels the TV in so they could watch Jackie Gleason. You know, remember that scene? And yeah. he's like, oh, I've, I've seen this before. And somebody imposed the Tyler Bass miskick on the TV. And <laughs> he was like, I've seen this before. Yes. Yes, we have. We saw it in 1990.
1: See, that's quality. And if you can't <laughs> laugh at that, then it means you're not trying. You're still trying to live in purgatory. That's what you're doing. Now, I think the strangest thing to come out of this, strangest one, is the national media narrative coming out against Josh Allen in the fallout of this. This conversation about how, first of all, wins, depending on who you ask, are or are not a quarterback stat. Now, we know someone who vehemently would tell you that they are not. Yep. It's funny that we're the only people, like, we're some of the only people on earth who know what he looks like.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can't wait to do this karaoke thing where he just looks like a guy from one of those uh, like those criminal TV shows where he's just in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Or with a bag over his head.
2: Yeah, we could do that. I can't
1: figure. I, I don't know which one's funnier. We got to work it out with Bruce. But so this is what I love. This conversation that started out with like, oh, well, Josh Allen sucks because look at who he's beaten in the playoffs and look at who he hasn't. And they go, in five wins, Josh Allen has managed to beat Philip Rivers, who was 40 at the time. Tyler Huntley, because Lamar Jackson got injured, even though that was later in the game. I get what they're trying to do. They're cherry-picking. But Tyler injured Lamar Jackson, who also threw a red zone interception in that game before they lost. Mac Jones, Skylar Thompson, and Mason Rudolph. Not exactly a who's who of NFL quarterbacks, right? Correct. And in his five losses, it was Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans and the NFL refs who decided to kick off return, wasn't actually returned for a touchdown. Um, Patrick Mahomes three times and Joe Burrow. So now everybody's turning on Josh Allen saying, well, see, this proves that he's not a playoff performer. And I say to myself, More than anything, I think that that's a Sean McDermott tweet. And here's why. Remember what I said about all those defensive investments and a lack of being able to coordinate them into playoff success? In their last four playoff eliminations, these are the statistics, right? Just the Chiefs and the Bengals game. These are Sean McDermott's defensive statistics. Out of 38 drives, he's given up 16 touchdowns, eight field goals, Six punts, six kneel downs to and a half, one missed field goal, one turnover, one hundred and thirty-four points allowed. That is three point five two points per offensive drive against Sean McDermott's defenses in the playoffs. Now Chris, when you take a look at that list that everybody's bagging on Josh Allen for and how bad this is all gone and how it's his fault, he just can't make enough plays when it counts. And then you see this where you go, here's a defensive-minded head coach who literally gives up more than a field goal on average every time the other team touches the ball in the divisional round or the championship round. What does that tell you? It almost sounds like somebody's either in over their head Or what it tells you is that for all the, like, like this is just what it is. You've run into a wood chipper every single time. And it doesn't matter how much you invest. It doesn't matter who you pay. It doesn't matter who you draft. These teams are a wood chipper. So you need to have one of your own. And if you don't, you will suffer the consequences. Is that fair? Totally fair. Okay, then. What I hate about this all and all this discourse is that Joe Burrow has a Super Bowl appearance and came this close to getting a Super Bowl ring. In his career, he's thrown nine touchdowns and four to four to four interceptions in the playoffs. Josh Allen has 21 touchdowns and four interceptions. Just the same ratios. Josh has already, he's already exemplified the type of play that should already have a ring. Except the only time the team wins is when they can play underperforming and inexperienced quarterbacks. That's it. We win our playoff games because we play under experienced quarterbacks, underdeveloped offenses, not great offensive coordinators. The second that we run into anyone who matters, our defense hemorrhages points and there's nothing they can do about it. So, at what point does it make sense to just feed? Stop giving premium assets to the side of the ball that cannot win you these moments. If Sean McDermott's capable of getting you within a field goal with AJ Klein and fucking who else is that? And a hurt Tyrell Dodson and a Dorian Williams who they let play six snaps. An aging Micah Hyde and an aged Jordan Poyer. A Russell Douglas who looked like a guy with a knee injury. (laughs) If you can cobble that together somehow and get to a place where your team is three points behind a team that's going to go play for a right to go to a Super Bowl. Why wouldn't you just invest more in that? Because clearly what you're doing has not worked. I want this to be the glaring takeaway for everybody, including everybody over there at One Bills Drive. I want Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to sit down today, tomorrow, Friday, Sunday over mimosas. I, we need a philosophical shift in how we build these teams going forward. If we want to be in that conversation, what we've been doing has been flawed and it's dumb and we're not going to do it anymore. If, you, if you're if you not having that conversation and you're not willing to take all the premium assets you, that you've been dumping into your defense and pivot to the offense, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we all know that McDermott's job is safe. But that dynamic is an inexcusable one and it cannot continue. If we don't want to be right back here having this same conversation next year. Now, where we are today sucks. Sitting here having this conversation sucks. But there are people who somehow have it worse than Bills fans. The (laughs) world's... I've been looking forward to this all day. We get to punch down a little bit. And I'm going to start with you, Chris. This is you. Fans of the Buffalo Sabres, how do you feel right now about your hockey team, Chris? Talk to me about it. Tell me me about this. I watched that game. Will I put this? Well, I? well I made some minor podcast notes last night as we were sitting here? Like sitting on my couch. Larissa fell asleep. I woke her up a couple times to tell her how bad the team was, which I almost feel bad about. I was just flabbergasted. How has this team become so unwatchable?
2: Uh, Well, for starters, people like you, the fact that I'm looking at your notes right here, and it was an ESPN game last night against Anaheim. And according to you, play-by-play announcer Mike Bouchagross called it an embarrassment.
1: He goes that he...
2: he it's John Bucciagross. John Bucciagross. I don't give a... Shut the fuck up. I don't give a up. fuck
1: who he is. Here's
2: the, here's the deal. We've seen it, I would say, twice throughout the season. Ottawa is so far into the goddamn gutter that they fired their coach. They're not coming out of it. They also have a new... They also have... Ottawa's got a new owner. So they're this year, they're reworking their entire hockey department how the owner wants it. Then you have Edmonton, who has Dreisaitl for one more year and McDavid, I think, for two more years. Now, if you guys don't watch hockey, think of it as like Mahomes and Kelsey in their prime on the same team. They started so far in the gutter. They were worse than San Jose to start the year. And they fired their coach After a year and a half, they had the guy a year and a half, shitty start, you're gone. Who do they bring in? Chris Knobloch, who coached Connor McDavid in juniors. So you're bringing in McDavid's junior coach in a hope so that you can re-sign him (laughs) in two years. You know how it's gone for Edmonton right now? Hmm. They're on a 14-game win streak <laughs> right now. The Islanders are a shade out of the playoffs. And Lou Lamarillo, I don't fucking like this. Lane Lambert, get out of here. Brings in Patrick Wah. I didn't get to watch the, I watched your game last night against uh, Las Vegas. They didn't play that well. They played a lot better, apparently, in its first game against Dallas. Vancouver... Awful year last year. Didn't do much work in the offseason. I think they brought in, like, you know, one or two depth guys. They didn't make a whole lot of changes to their top six. But they did bring in Rick Tockett. Vancouver is one of the best teams in the Western Conference right now. Buffalo has all of this fucking talent. First-round picks. Owen Power. Darlene. Cousins. Jeff Skinner. The list goes on with how many first-round picks we have. If this management team can sack the fuck up and can Granado, because it's clear that he's lost the team, the team doesn't believe in what he's selling. Get me a—I need an asshole behind that Sabres bench. We lost, right before Christmas, one of the worst teams in the league. Columbus Blue Jackets. we lost 9-4. to Do you know who sat the next game for repercussions for their shit play in that 9-4 to loss? Hmm. Nobody. All these players, Don Granato has said this multiple times this year. These players are accountable. The fuck they are because you're not sitting them. They're walking all over you. We need to fire Don Granato, and we need to get... A fucking asshole in here. I'm talking somebody (laughs) like a, give me a uh, Bob Bugner, uh, Craig Berube.
1: Bruce, I don't think Bruce Boudreau, I don't think he's the guy. I think he's too nice. No, I said Craig Berube. I know, but I'm talking about Bruce Boudreau.
2: No, fuck that guy. He's old as shit. It's like getting Biden to coach your hockey team. (laughs) He's old as hell. I need an asshole. What is your? Give me, a, give me a former player that had the reputation of being a tough guy and hard on their players.
1: So you want a Dan Campbell type? I,
2: I a, yeah. <laughs> I need somebody who's going to hold the players accountable when they don't adhere to the structure that you're supposed to play with. You take your ass and you sit up in the fucking bleachers for a game, and that goes that goes for anybody. I don't care if you're a seventh round pick, undrafted guy. If you listen to Chad or Anthony, they probably tell you Owen Power should have taken a couple of seats this year because he he plays soft like puppy shit. Dude, well, six six. Let I me mean, fucking hit somebody for fuck's sake. I
1: said that I went to one game not that long ago where I saw him. It was the uh, loss to Vancouver, and I was like, oh, Owen Powers had a guy. Power had a guy. He towers over this dude, but he won't throw a punch. And they're pushing and shoving, but it was. I mean, he might as well have been hitting him with his purse. Like, what the fuck, dude? You're 6'6". Get in there and make some hay. Jesus Christ. Well, you're big for... We joked that it's like uh, it's like we used to call one of our friends. Big for no reason. It's just, you're huge. Doesn't matter. You're soft. And I recently, just this past Saturday, went to the Kids Day game. And I made my wife really upset when I joked with her that uh, they got beat up 3-1 by the Lightning in a game that was so lackluster. First we... two shots went in. They, they scored two goals on two shots and one of them was a shorthanded goal and I go honey this is a good thing that this is happening on kids day all of these kids have an opportunity now to pick a different team they have a chance to see what this team is and move on before it's too late part of the problem is the way that they're fucking built like
2: if you look at the forward group they're all the same well listen this is all... a hockey
1: podcast we're I not know. gonna get
2: into the makeup of the lines I'm just saying if you look at the forwards they're all 5'9 to six feet tall 180 Michael with, with, tough. with, These guys with skills
1: yeah but meanwhile meanwhile we've got a guy in uh what's his name uh, who's the little kid that we traded for from vegas who's out there checking and trying to fight people peyton krebs peyton krebs guys five seven five eight five nine and he's out there hitting people and fighting listen you sissies can do it now you know who else has it worse than bills fans today new coordinators trying to break into the nfl Hockey is full of retreads. That's the problem, Chris. Like, here you are. Like, they gave an, a new guy like Don Granado a chance. But then just like I brought up, I was looking for a coach. And I Googled it. And the first name for eligible coaches that popped up was Bruce Boudreau. Because once you've proven that you're good at something, people just allow you to keep doing it. Whether or not you're actually qualified, whether or not you're a good fit, they go, well, that's a name I know. Plug him in here and let's see what happens. Is that or is that not the dynamic?
2: Uh, yeah, it is. Patrick Wah was on the shelf for, like, uh, I mean, he was coaching juniors, but he hadn't coached in the NHL for about eight years. And then you have Chris Knobloch, who went to Edmonton. He's never coached in the NHL before. Ottawa is so fucking bad that they fired their coach and brought back the winningest coach in franchise history, who's, like, 74, <laughs> and brought in their best, arguably their most... Beloved player Daniel Alfredson. Daniel Alfred Alfie came back to be an associate coach. So at the season's end, Jacques Martin is out as head coach because he's, you know, but yeah, what I say they or, don't want
1: to see a guy yeah, die on the bench. Yeah, what
2: I, what I <laughs> yeah what I say or it's like Joe Biden. This is another Joe Biden as an NHL coach situation, and it's like, is he grooming Alfie to be the next head coach? I mean. Retreads well, are the way to go in the NHL.
1: But so that, that, that idea, it, first of all, it rarely ever works in the NHL. Second of all, it's why I feel bad for this next group of schmucks. Think about the idea, like think about the careers of Josh McDaniels and Matt Nagy. Both of them were highly thought of offensive minds who both got cracks. And Josh McDaniels was a head coach twice. Are we shocked that it didn't go well? (laughs) Anyone shocked that it didn't work? Like, disastrously, these guys fell on their faces as head coaches. But because they were coordinators who got promoted to head coach, it's like somehow they're in the club. And now they get to just hang around forever. And no matter where they go, they'll have a coordinating job somewhere. Someone will go... Nah, I need an O I need an OC. Mine just got hired by, you know, if you're the Lions, they'll go, Nah, my coordinator just got hired away by the uh as a head coach who knows where. Dad, I could do worse than McDaniel. And they'll bring him in. And then Josh McDaniels will just be the head he'll be the offensive coordinator for the Lions. And it's like, no, you you could do worse. He's terrible. Or at least he's mediocre, or else he would he would be head coaching again. It's it's like you just get passed around in this cycle. Once you've once you've made that jump, you get your card punched, and now you can just you're in the club, and they can never throw you out. You just get bounced around from team to team to team. I think of guys like Vance Joseph. I think of guys like Todd Bowles. I think of guys like someone we're gonna talk about here shortly. But there's it, just just you get bounced around, and some of those guys maybe got a raw deal the first time around, but some of you just suck at this. Maybe you shouldn't be here anymore. And meanwhile, there's all this young blood who's trying to rise up and find a, a, find room for themselves, right? So in a league full of Joe Brady's and Eric B. Enemies, this news comes out that the recently fired Arthur Smith, who took a team loaded with offensive talent in Atlanta and drove it into the ground, somehow has at least seven teams interested in interviewing him for his offensive coordinator, as an offensive coordinator. like I I want you to think about this for a second. Here's who Arthur Smith is. For those of you who don't know, first of all, he couldn't decide whether Kyle Pitts or Jonu Smith should be the tight end focus for the season. He kept trying to trick people. He's like, okay, everyone expects me to do this. I'll trick (laughs) him. I'm going to get him with Jonu Smith this week. He decided that Bijan Robinson was talented enough to be a top 10 pick. He was talented enough to, I think he, he's like a top 10 for snap percentage for running backs. But never in the red zone. It's almost like the Falcons used to use Julio Jones. Julio Jones is a great fantasy player. Always, always fucked you. When he came to like, hey, he's going to get a million yards. Never in the red zone. He won't score touchdowns. So he'll never be a top three wide receiver he'll always be like top 10 but he wouldn't get like outside of a couple breakout years he was always just just good enough to get you to the playoffs but he'd never win you the game his quarterback mismanagement goes back to almost like the Kelly Holcomb like J.P. Lossman saga (laughs) it's like who is your quarterback and he goes ah well it's 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 Ritter nah it's not Ritter Nah, we're going to bring in Heineke. We're going to bring in this guy. We're going to bring in that guy. It's like, holy shit, what are you doing? And then my my favorite, Drake London. He's the most talented wide receiver that your team has. Your de facto number one. He only needs more than five targets twice in your last six games. That sounds smart, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah. Meanwhile, they stumbled to a 2-4 and four finish and somehow missed the playoffs in the worst division in football by a game and a half. You have to fire this guy, right? Yes. He's the guy who's so smart that he's too smart. He's trying to do quantum physics, and all we asked you to do was balance your checkbook. (laughs) Make it make sense, man. And somehow that guy has this much demand? Enough so that seven teams would allegedly bypass some new up-and-coming NFL talent just to get him on their roster, making their offensive decisions. That seems crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. And then there's this unfortunate photo of Arthur Smith. This is my favorite. This will be the thing he's most known for in my mind. It's this unfortunate red hoodie photo of him. And on Reddit, people just had a field day with it. They said, Arthur Smith looks like, and Reddit just took it and ran with it. I want to read you some of my favorites. Arthur Smith looks like he should be answering the door to Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Arthur Smith looks like an out-of-work magician. He looks like the assistant manager of a Shoney's. (laughs) Oh, my God. Someone called him Thicolus Cage. (laughs) Because, I mean, look at that photo. He's... It's not flattering. No. He's got... Like... (laughs) His arms are too small for the rest of it. It's almost like his head. If his head were bigger, the rest of it would make sense. But it's just not. <laughs> what do they call him, a rat-faced vampire? Uh, someone called Six Flags. I think one of the animatronics in Monster Mansion escaped. He looks like a friendly cartoon dinosaur. <laughs> Can you see him being Barney, teaching children how to put their toys away? oh yeah he looks like an old Michael Cera <laughs> that's probably my favorite that and Thickeless Cage it's just like this guy's an idiot he's a rich guy who failed up and now is going to continue getting work simply because he's around at the expense of guys like Deuce Staley Stump Mitchell, Mike Kafka Joe Brady like, that's that's brutal isn't it yeah But not nearly as brutal is what Miami Dolphins fans and Vic Fangio are feeling today. (laughs) When Vic Fangio was hired, Chris, I was told by a lot of smart people on the internet that this is why. This was the reason that the Dolphins were going to take the division. This was it. You know, here we are making fun of retreads that were sure to fail. How about Vic Fangio? What is his career? Can you give that a goob? Where has he like go to? Just put in Vic Fangio, Pro Football Reference. Let's see everywhere he's been.
2: I mean, he was a coach. He was a coach of Broncos.
1: <laughs> coach of the Broncos, and Josh Allen kicked his ass then too. <laughs> it has to sting. It has to sting. So. Here's a guy who was championed as the reason that my, like, this is finally Miami's time. We brought in Vic Fangio. We traded for another cornerback. His familiarity with three, four defenses with great cornerback play. This is going to be the dynamic that makes it happen this year. Our offense is peaking at the right time. The division has got to be ours. Let's see here, Chris. How many years in the NFL? He started where? 23 years. <coughs> started in Carolina. So starting in Carolina in 1995 as a defensive coordinator. How many years as a head coach? Three. How many different teams does he coach for?
2: Well, just head coach is Denver.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean as defensive cor- coordinator. As a
2: coordinator, car- uh, Carolina, Indianapolis, Houston, San Francisco, Chicago, and Miami.
1: So this is a guy who's been shuffled around a ton. And he gets signed, right? And they go, Miami, baby. This is it. This is this is the reason why we're gonna be good. Only to have the three-time division-winning Buffalo Bills throttle you not once, but twice on defense. <laughs> Chris, like, what do you what do you make of this? Like Fangio, just uh, that that they mutually parted ways.
2: I mean, well, I've never, I've never heard a coordinator get talked about like Fangio got talked about in the off season. What he's going to do for Miami's defense? There was, I think, it was Javon Holland
1: <laughs> who tweeted kick rocks. Yeah,
2: tweeted, uh, yeah, a video of himself ki- actually kicking rocks and put it <laughs> on his Instagram story. But uh, so he must have
1: not liked. No. So, so it's clear that he was not well liked. But it is hilarious that, like, he was the reason that they were going to surpass the Buffalo Bills. And after one season of not only having it, like, like oh, look at this. Drew Rosenhaus says that it was not a unanimous positive relationship between now former D.C. Vic Fangio and the players. No shit. They hated you because the players know that you're dumb as hell. I just wonder how this even started. How did he get here, Chris? Like, we talk about retreads. What, because he's so experienced, he must just fit in here? That's how the Bills ended up with Rick Dennison. Yeah. Oh, he's got experience. He must be good at this. And then you watch that Denver game, and there's three wide receivers all running into each other. And you go, oh, no, this guy's a clown. (laughs) And there goes Vic Fangio with that stupid hat. And he said a lot of dumb shit about the Bills, too. It was hilarious. Like, I remember him talking about Josh Allen. They were like, oh, you know, what What do you think about Josh Allen and these big plays he's capable of? He goes, well, you know, you can't just, can't be home run throws all the time. At some point, you got to make good, you, you got to make reasonable plays, too, and we'll be there. Will ya? Where were you when he was carving you up for two straight games? <laughs> It's amazing. Hmm. The best part might be since we're talking about retreads and just all of his nonsense. You know who's you know who they're lining up already for the new DC job? Who's that? Brandon Staley. <laughs> Brandon Staley. Chris do me a favor. Pro football, in fact, I'll do it. Pro football reference
0: Chargers.
2: I mean the guy might be a better coordinator than a head coach. I mean, we've said that about uh yeah. our former head coach Wade Phillips from the night like he is a terrible head coach, but the dude is a fantastic coordinator. And I mean, I only know of Brandon Staley being around for what the Rams coordinator job. Is it is that not the only one that he's held? Is Rams defensive coordinator? So we really don't know what he is really as a defensive coordinator, since he's only held that job for a couple of years.
1: Okay. So here's what I know. <laughs> when you look at Staley having held the head coaching job as a defensive guy like Sean McDermott out there in the West Coast, um, points per game allowed. This year was actually his lowest, 204 otherwise he's 23. Point to 23 points a game, 27.9 in 2021, 24 in 2020. Like there's just a lot here to unpack. Like this for being a defensive head coach, you've never been able to get your points per game down to a reasonable level. <laughs> you still lost a shitload of football games. And so now you're coming to a Miami team that has hurt players and problems with their, like, like I don't know, like you, your defense has always been hurt. So maybe that's the thing. Everyone goes, oh, like wasn't that the knock on the Chargers all the time? Was that their defense was always banged up?
2: Well, their defense has always sucked, not banged up. I mean,
1: injuries didn't help. No. But it is funny thinking about the fact that you brought him to Miami where the defense is always banged up. (laughs) Welcome to the AFC, Brandon Staley. I can't wait until the next time we get to play the Dolphins. Chris, we've been at this for too long. I've been having way too much fun trashing other people. Realistically, the Buffalo Bills season is over. If you want to go ahead and give your final thoughts about this game.
2: Like will. whoa, game. whoa. I got to give one more. Oh, you got to. All right. People have it worse. I got to give this up. That I was. I for, it's been a minute since we've lost. So I forgot that this segment actually existed. So while you were talking, I was doing my own research.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
2: For people who have it worse. People who have it worse than Bills fans. People of Tonawanda. <laughs> I'm. I'm not kidding. This is in the news. I like
1: how you just you dug deep for this. You did work.
2: No, I. I did not have you to work. You did word. some
1: quick show prep.
2: All me. I had to do was go to WGRZ, because residents in the town of Tonawanda are seeing a uh absurd number of coyotes roaming <laughs> around their land it's like it's like uh talladega nights the packs of stray coyotes that control most of the major cities <laughs> in america <laughs> there's apparently coyotes being spotted and uh so yeah My- coyotes are taking over tonawanda i feel bad not really i don't feel bad for anybody that lives in tonawanda
1: I love that people who just pick up our show in the last year or two, they go, why do you guys hate that place so much? You guys talk about it all the time. Yeah, well, my mom's from
2: Tonawanda, and she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't like that I trash Tonawanda.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. I didn't even know that. That makes it this much better. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, What an awful place. Now, if you live there, obviously, and you're listening to this, we don't hate you. We just hate that city. Chris, if you have any parting thoughts as we close this show, just about this week and about this game, why don't you hit them with? Me? Hit me with them.
2: Uh, I will use the uh, allotted time. What do you have over there? One beer.
1: I have one beer, and I have what was a glass of one hundred and twenty-two well, this... proof uh, uncut Blue Note.
2: Okay, so you took some Blue Note. So this is a this is a first. <laughs> In a beating of two to one, I've outdrank you in beers because the our beer count is over, and I believe we're gonna retire counting the beers. We I, may. I think we might do because
1: Chris is Chris is, I'm
2: Chris I'm not a, a softy. I'm not a beer guy anymore. I've give me liquor. That's what. That's my preference now. I don't. Can I, I don't.
1: Point something do, out though. Yeah. Most nope. people, when they switch from booze to liquor, they lose weight. What happened to you? <laughs> ah! Oh, slam! Boom! That's the Denny's grand. <laughs> that's the Denny's grand slam. Welcome. All
2: right, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> for those that want to know what I have over here on the board, the beer count. Everyone sucked. <laughs> Way off. Well, because
1: you didn't drink any beer.
2: Oh well, I. I two to three is like my limit you tailed off week 14 when we had a fight it was we awesome. we fought like mean girls <laughs> so we both got <laughs> we both got goose goose eggs but then since week 14 you haven't drank more than seven in a night and because tonight we're only doing one show this week and you've only had one I've had two this is the first time I've ever drank more than you in a, in a week where we've counted but the uh final tally 217 beers for the season that's the number uh, nobody was close
1: depressing
2: i think the closest was partham and he guessed 1
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think the best part about this is that it's almost indicative that we've grown up a little bit we have responsibilities we're not i'm no longer polishing off a case of beer in a night
2: yeah. Yeah, you've, uh, since... Since the, uh... It's almost pro- like
1: I'm a real adult. Yeah. <sighs> Guys. As we go to get out of here, I want to talk about this, because purgatory. It's where we are. We as fans are stuck here in this weird purgatory for another year. Where our team was good enough to make it to a certain point, and... Then we again flamed out in not, not even just, it would be one thing like, I, Chris, I would almost argue that it's easier to accept running out of gas against the Cincinnati Bengals than it is the last handful of eliminations that have come at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: I I
1: can't swallow this because our team is giving everything that they have and we're just a handful of plays away and it's so close and so tight and yet we're short just doesn't work. It just does not go our way. And so you think about what purgatory is, and it's this idea that purgatory is this extended period of temporary suffering or misery. And I'd like to believe that that's where we are. I'd like to believe that this truly is purgatory. I'd like to think that like we're here, and we're stuck and we're suffering, because, but it's okay because something better is coming. As I get older and I look at my kids, like I start thinking about what am I getting you involved in? Do I know that for a fact? Do I trust for a fact that something better is coming? I can't say that anymore. And yet I'm here. I'm doing this. I mean, I think about, (laughs) I think about what the suffering piece of purgatory really is because that's where we are. And until this team makes a, a a shift philosophically, they will continue to live in purgatory. We vicariously through them will continue to live in purgatory. And at the same time, I want to say this. Like I, I sit here and I always I always wear this and it seems cheesy, but I wear this every game day, and I sometimes for podcasts when I'm feeling down. I wear this because it was literally given to me by Ezra Castro. Chris, you remember that day? Yeah. We yep. got to go over there. We got to talk to him over in Hammer's Lot, when we were still tailgating in Mudlot. And then we donated a bunch of money to his Bills Backers Bar so they could buy a round of shots the next year for, like, the, like, the, hey, first Bills game of the season. We'll buy a round of shots for everybody for the Dallas Fort Worth Bills backers, and the Bills. It was that Bills Ravens game, and they never scored a (laughs) touchdown. And so he he messaged us at halftime and was like, "Hey, can we just do these shots?" I go, "Yeah, that's (laughs) let let it fly, man. (laughs) We don't care. We're not sticklers for this." That's a guy who suffered, and so when I sit here on days like this, I I I I like to have this as a reminder that. Like, I don't know. My life is pretty good. Most of ours are. If you're listening to a podcast right now in 2024, your life's pretty good. Whether you choose to see it that way or not is up to you. But at least you know that it could be worse. I remember something my dad said, and I don't know if he I don't even know if he remembers this, but he said it to me once in passing, and it stuck with me my entire life. And I've said it to countless other people since then. I was complaining about something, and he just looked at me and was like, Yeah, well, at least you're not on fire. <laughs> I was like, Okay, okay. But that's a great way to frame suffering. Because you can, things could always be worse. And so you look at where you are and, and it gives it, like, suffering is meaningful. And I guess while I've been wrestling with the emotions of this and the thoughts of this loss and the end of our 2023, 2024 season, I constantly find myself trying to build the scale of suffering. It's like when you go into the doctor's office. And- They ask you about the pain scale, and it's from 1 to 10. And if the nurse is attractive, you lie. (laughs) You lie, and you go, well, it's a a 6, but I'm going to tell you it's a 3 because there's something broken about me, and I just can't. Like, I would rather have a permanent limp than admit to an attractive woman that I'm suffering. Tough guy heaven. I don't know why. I don't know why. Why? (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll risk a permanent limp when it gets cold out rather than appearing weak in front of a lady. So, we all live in this weird space where we're trying to figure out, like, okay, this hurts. But on what scale? Because I've seen people who've raged and screamed and thrashed and said that they're done and they've quit and they've dropped tickets and they've, I mean, we're benefiting from a little bit of it. Chris, with that fifth ticket. Yep. Realistically, (laughs) there's a thing that I, there's two ways, two trains of thought that I take. First of all, I'm a nihilist by nature. I look at this and I go, nothing matters. So realistically, nothing can hurt me because none of this matters. I'm also a narcissist, which means I'm the center of the earth, like I'm the center of everything, and everything revolves around me, or at least my interests are the only interests that matter, and I don't really give any gravity to things that rotate around that. This team might be one of the few things, one of the few exceptions to that. But what I'll say is when you think about this, and I recently got... (laughs) I had to have a conversation with people at work because I offered this up during a... <clears throat> like a team building thing and it was not received the way that I expected it to be. Although I don't know why I thought people would gravitate towards this idea. You think about all of the people who have ever existed, Chris ever in the history of the world. Billions and billions of people have lived and died, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How many have we ever talked about in history class? Well, like a thousand. Yeah. How many people have ever been remembered for anything? <clears throat> I don't know. There's Hitler. <laughs> well, this is it. Like it's and it's some some of it's bad, some of it's good. But realistically, you could probably say there's a few thousand people who will be remembered forever out of the billions of people who ever lived. So first of all, you the th- the mistakes you make, the individual suffering that you endure, none of it will ever be remembered by anyone. And the people who do remember it. They'll also be forgotten. And in that way, there's almost a freedom in the idea that nothing matters because all of our problems and all the things that we suffer and rage about and thought were important will disappear. (laughs) We're all just passing through. And that's it, because we're not realistically one of those 3000 people who get talked about in history. In there is a kind of freedom when you think about the things that happen in life around you. And when you think about what your relationship with this football team is and where they drag you in, the ugly places that maybe they take you because you care so much. And then they they, they break your heart. They let you down. they. You can choose to steer into that and make that your identity. It's just the person who's mad at this thing because they made you sad. Or you can choose to find the silver linings that exist, and I know, like I'm right now thinking of Silver Lining Playbook, and I hate Anthony Prohaska so. Like I want to yell, I want to call him up and yell at him right now. <laughs> That's his fault. But you look at this and you say to yourself, like, okay, suffering in purgatory embodied. Like, I okay, cool. But what if I could be just adjacent to something special? And what if I wait my entire life for it and it never comes? Ezra did. And he didn't care. He didn't care. He went to the grave with the belief that this team would be great, never getting to see it with his own two eyes. And that has always stuck with me. And so in that way, again, you rage and you thrash and you find your catharsis. In what this football team and what this sport does to you. And what fandom does to you. And it really is like the Marv Levy speech. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to bleed a while. And then I'll rise and I'll fight again. Because I'm lucky enough to get to do that. And as long as I have the ability, I'll always be here. And that's, that's the bottom line. And the crazy thing is that I know that you people listening to this, if you're here right now listening to this, you're watching it on YouTube, you're following our content, whether you like it or not, you're wired like me. It's why we're friends. It's why we get along. It's why when we meet each other, it feels so natural. Guys, I love you. And for as much as I hate the way this season ended... I'm not going anywhere. Neither are you. Neither are we. And it just sucks that we have to end the season this way. So we'll sit here and we'll have our off-season discourse and we'll talk about what else the team can do. And we'll cover the pivots and we'll talk about...
2: Yeah, Nate Geary's going to be here next
1: week. <laughs> guys, it's going to be fun. I've got some surprises for that show. If you guys want to tune in, you watch the video version of that show. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. We're going to have Nate Geary in studio last week for our 2023-2024 season recap. We're going to give out superlatives. We're going to talk about outstanding performances. We're going to talk about... Dalton Kincaid takes. <laughs> We're going to talk about a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of fun. Because ultimately, that's what this is, right? This is escapism about escapism. This is a way for us to enjoy each other's company and enjoy a sport to another degree that isn't of itself an escape from my wife's car being stolen and my house falling apart in the middle of a generational snowstorm. This is what we're doing here. That's what this entire thing is about. I refuse to lose perspective on that. So for as crazy as I am, I'm hoping most of you will follow me in that way. Guys, I love you. Thank you for everything this season. But for tonight, we're going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report.